We welcome you to the media ministry of Denton Bible Church. Our speaker today is the senior pastor, Tom Nelson. The um, text we have this morning is the entire New Testament. Just follow along. I've got a, one announcement. It's going to be kind of um, announced during the midst of this message. But let me tell you what it's about. Something I hadn't done in a long time. Kind of uh, at the behest of our elder board, of which I'm a part, and it was a good suggestion. Our day is kind of the day as far as the urban modern church. It's the church of the revolving door. That uh, The days of having a church that you are born in, dedicated in, baptized in, married in, and you're buried in the church cemetery, those days are gone. You notice that we don't have a church cemetery because very seldom does somebody come all the way through this church and die. We, we move around. When you minister in, a, in the church today, you're ministering to a moving target. That's why you can use a joke like every six months, you know, the same one, because you've got a new crowd that's come and gone. And that's okay because you're kind of ministering to people in transition as Americans move so often. Uh, but ever so often you have to come back to a repetition of what your foundation is. Uh, you obviously keep repeating the gospel. Um, and you come back to your, your cardinal doctrinal beliefs on God, Christ, man, sin, salvation, the cross, uh, the inerrancy of the Bible, the, uh, the second coming, and, and things like this. It's called your system of theology. But another thing is you have to come back to not simply what the church believes, but how the church functions, back to the life of the church. What are not called just your core beliefs, but your core values. Why do you do what you do at this church? What is it that you're distinctly trying to succeed at and you don't want to fail at? Uh, these are not things that you, uh, you attain to it and check it off. You're always struggling to stay at these things. And they're not things that are just endemic to a, a southern Protestant church, they're in the New Testament, just as real as New Testament theology is the church life that it's supposed to have. And so this day, why do we do what we do? We're going to take a look at the core values of the New Testament church, and particularly this particular body, what we try to do. Um, there's 10 of them. You might call it the 10 commitments. And the first is that of a belief in the authority of Scripture. That the Bible is inerrant. All Scripture is inspired by God. But it's plenarily, a new word for you, plenary inspiration means that the Bible is not just inspired in its spiritual truths of God, salvation, and the cross, but it's inspired in what it says about science what it says about history. The Bible's not a science book, it's not just a history book, but it's set in the creation and in the continuity of history. And so what it says about science, what it says about history, if it says that, no, that Jonah was uh, going to, to Tarshish to flee, uh, going to Nineveh, you'd better find a Tarshish and there'd better be a Nineveh. So the Bible is not just true in the upper story of spiritual ideas, but can be false in the areas of marriage, kids, morality, sexuality, ethics, 
that it can be wrong there. That is what is called the inspired purpose view, okay? Um, not that long ago, I had a young girl come to me and she was going to marry another woman. And she said, what do you think about this? I said, now, are you a Christian? She said, yes, I am. Tell me about that. She said she was a Christian. And I said, well, the Bible is not unclear on this issue of male and female and marriage and how it's to be done. It's very clear. It's, it, you're, not, you're not allowed another opinion. Male and female, God created the him, the, he, them. And so that's the way it is. So I shouldn't do this. No, you, you shouldn't do this now. You shouldn't do it then. You shouldn't do it forever. Uh, you're never going to be a mother, never going to be a grandmother. You're never going to have, you're just basically cutting yourself off. It's not normal. And she said, but that was back then. And I said, aha, here's our problem, is her view of the Bible. The Bible as, is a book that as the world turns, we don't. And that's what makes it our rock and our anchor of the soul. And so what it says about marriage and morals and gender and work ethic and children and child rearing and science and where we're going and where we're going to end up, the Bible is very clear on those things and we hold to them. When this is your first fundamental of the New Testament, it's the recognition on the higher issues of meaning, of origins, of morality, of moral duty, of the things of God and the things of the future, that we can't know those things on our own. Amen? Try as best you can. You don't have a means of knowing. God must speak. And that's why this book says, I believe it's 5,700 times, the word of the Lord came to. And so that's what we are. We are Christians because we believe in the giving of a Christ. The second person of the Trinity become a man in an incarnation, dying on a cross, rising from the dead, the spirit of God converting us. Uh, that is knowledge higher than us. We can't figure that out. It has to be known to us. And those, those are not areas that are neither here nor there. They are the ultimate areas of vitality. You have to know those. And so our entire assumption is that God has spoken. And once we relinquish that, we will begin to disintegrate into parts. And so, number one, we hold to the authority of the Bible. Number two is how that Bible is presented. We hold to what is called Bible exposition, expository preaching. Expository preaching means you take the position that the Bible takes and you draw it out, exposition, and you take a look and we turn it around. That means the coin of the realm and the people that teach here, the people that man a pulpit here, that do anything here, it means that you don't read a text and then pontificate on what you think about life. Young guys will ask me sometimes, I being a non-young guy, and they will say, what's the art of preaching? And I say, easy, don't. Don't preach. No one cares what you think. Aren't you rude? Yes. But no one cares what you think. You're a human. Tell them what God 
has said, the most fascinating thing in the world is what God has said. And so don't try to be charismatic and don't try to be articulate. You study to show yourself approved as a workman who handles accurately the word of truth. And so that's the most fascinating thing in the world is to take it out and turn it and let everybody look at what God has said. I like to preach like I like to be preached at. I never needed anyone to yell at me or to manipulate me. I needed somebody to tell me what it said. Okay. Did they have to be handsome? It's nice if you are, <laughs> but that's not required. All right. But I wanted somebody to simply tell me what God said. And that's why you're here as we try to explain the Bible. Amen. That's why you're here. And so um, when I was at seminary, I remember Dr. Lewis Johnson said, from South Carolina, he was a Geechee, a Carolinian. And he said, you boys are going to have to learn to fight with the bare blade, the Bible. You're going to have to learn how to handle your Bible, not just tell stories. You've got to handle the word of God. Well, that's what we do. Uh, number three is called prayer. If your church doesn't pray, it's because you've probably got fleshly ambitions. You just want bodies in the seats. You want to pay your bills. You maybe want to build some buildings and have ritual. But once you get into the areas of the soul of seeing darkened sons of the devil converted to see children of God grow, to see your church holy and pure, you're now into areas that C.S. Lewis called the deep magic. That when you have a lost man that you can take the seed of the word, put it in his heart, and it germinates, and he is born again. We don't understand that. The wind blows where it wishes. You hear the sound of it. You don't know where it comes from. You don't know where it's going. So is everyone born of the Spirit, that it is a miracle. And so a church that understands what it has to do knows that on its own, it is impotent. Apart from me, you can do nothing. The Greek word nothing means nothing. <laughs> it means nothing. But I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And so God has rigged Christian ministry that he can lead us up to the edge of what we're supposed to do, but we can't do it. It's rigged. You have to back off and trust God. And that way, nobody can be completely discouraged and nobody can be arrogant and proud. I planted, Apollos watered, God caused the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything but God who causes the growth. Look what God did. I remember Dr. Hendricks saying to us at seminary, take your hand, put it in a five-gallon bu bucket of water, pull it out. The hole you leave is how necessary you are <laughs> to the ongoing of the Word of God. I paid for that, all right? <laughs> and whenever we leave, what, what we pray is, that God will guide our steps to his elect. That 
a door will open in their hearts to know what they can't know. That we will have the grace to speak clearly, boldly. Can it get scary when you're witnessing and telling a human being that they're totally depraved and nothing they can do can reconcile them to God, that God must send the death of his own son and they will go to hell should they refuse this? That takes a little hood spa to have to say that. And so we pray God would guide our steps, open their hearts, that we would speak clearly on God's love, man's sin, Christ's death, and salvation by faith, that we would clearly articulate it so that when they're on their deathbed at the end of their life and we talk to them 30 years earlier, they can still remember that conversation and that, quote, quote, God would open the heart of Lydia to respond to the things spoken by Paul. And so we ask for the grace to speak and we ask for God. The sheep hear my voice and other they will not follow, they follow me and I give eternal life to them for God to speak and to summon his own to himself. Does that sound like it's above us? It's because it is. And so we deeply believe that when we close our eyes and we go to God, that we do not know how to pray as we should, unquote. But the Spirit intercedes for us with groanings, putting on our heart groanings that are too deep for words. But he that searches our heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Have you ever been praying? And it's what Paul calls praying in the Spirit. It means your, your heart is, and you're not just going through the motions. Your heart is before God. Generally, when you're praying about your kids, okay, your heart is before God. Generally, after you've seen CNN, your heart is before God. And you don't know what to say. And all you know is there's your kids. And you see them in your mind's eye. And you just pray, oh, God, help me. Do something with this child. Now, God knows what you're feeling. And he can interpret that. So we're not at the mercy of our ability to be articulate. Aren't you glad? It's like when your kid looks at you in a certain way, you know what's going through his mind. You know what he really wants. And so that's how we pray. We just come to God and let God interpret our hearts as we pour our hearts out. Isn't that easy? All you gotta be is honest. And then fourthly, authority of scripture, Bible exposition, Prayer, that's what greases the wheels. And then you have what's called our duty, evangelism. Ev angel, ev angel. Angel means a message. Eu prefix means a good message. We get the word phonetically, evangel, evangelism. An evangelist, he takes a good message in Old English, it's called Godspell or gospel. The gospel is a message. An evangel is a message. We're not giving people the eightfold path of Buddhism or the five pillars of Islam or even the 10 commandments that by doing them, they can be saved. We're giving them a message, not of what they need to do, but of what God has done. Listen to what God has done for you. The father hath sent the son to be the savior of the world. 
that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And that is called our mission. A missive, historically, is when a person in supreme authority gives a command. They give it by virtue of a M-I-S-S-A-L, a missal. And you are to get the freedom to be permissive to what they have said. And so our mission by its meaning is the command of God that we are told to do. Lord, is it at this time you're restoring the kingdom in Israel? It's not for you to know the times fixed by the Father's authority, but you shall be my witnesses when the Holy Spirit has come upon you in Jerusalem and then Judea and then Samaria and then the outermost parts of the earth. That is our missive. He has told us what we are supposed to do. Uh, you do that by, I mean, you can have an evangelistic program, that's good. You can have an evangelistic crusade. But the best way to do evangelism is by friendship evangelism, by being light and salt, by um, letting your speech be filled with grace so that you may know how to answer back to each person, Colossians 4. Conducting yourself with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. It's when you get to be friends with somebody and you start talking beyond just how's the weather. Well, the weather's rotten and I'm rotten. How do you mean? Man, you got any kids? Stop right there. I know where you're going. And now we're getting into information. We're getting into feelings. And ultimately, those feelings are going to go take us back somewhere to what God has said. And that's when I cross that chasm. Are you aware, just wondering, what God has said about this? Which God are you talking about? Okay. The true God, the, the God of Christ. I think I heard about him. I went to church once. Okay. You've begun a friendship and a guy recognizes, a girl recognizes that you truly care about him. You can trust me. I'm not going to hurt you. Have you ever heard of what God has done for you? No, I don't know. You got a minute? And so you who have begun a friendship now, you try to be clear in your presentation of the gospel. God created all things and he loves you. Man took an exit and went off on his own. That's why we're in a mess. But God did something for you. He gave his son to die on a cross for you. It's all done. All you have to do is nothing. You just come with empty hands and you receive it. Have you shared the gospel? There's another step you need to do. You say this. This happened to me in 1972. You probably heard of me when I was a quarterback. Oh, yeah, you were one of the great quarterbacks in the history of college. Yeah, I was. Okay. Okay. Well, my life was empty. Really? Empty. And I was on scholarship. Texas was paying me to win four games in four years. Sorry. <laughs> but I was empty. And a guy came into my room. Everybody loves a good story. And he said to my roommate this, and I listened, and he shared the, the gospel. And you know what? I went and I did it. Man, that was 50-some-odd years ago. 
and God changed my life. This is objectively true. This is subjectively true. And there's a billion guys will tell you the same kind of story right here. And then after I've shared the gospel and a testimony, then I stand back and I wait for questions. Can I ask you something? Sure. The Bible's written by men, right? Right. How can men, here comes the question. If God is loving, then why? Okay. Did God know all of this was going to happen? Yeah, then why did? The questions are always the same. What about other religions? What about the guy that's never heard Christ? What, what good? That's good. He's thinking. And then you just stay close to him. All right? That's evangelism. We have Christmas and Easter, there's about 4,000 people that come here. Okay. That means that during the week, do y'all know two non-Christians by name? Sure you do. We probably reach 10,000 people a week in this church. That would fill this church like three times, 10,000 people. And so evangelism, we can bring in a hired gun. There's a place for that. But it's where we all just join hands and go, ready? Let's get out of there. Team! And we go. We go get them. You make friends. Great evangelists are people that are great friends. And they carry that friendship to the deepest point. And when a guy gets a sense that you really care and they've seen consistency, you can pretty well tell him anything and he's going to listen because he's in need of what you've got. He just doesn't know it. Fifthly, after evangelism is called, when they trust Christ, you have now, they, God has begun a good work and the rest is called discipleship. And that is where they are being shaped into the likeness of Christ. Now, I have a question I always like to ask when I'm talking about discipleship. How many of you, when you became Christians, nobody was there to follow up with you and teach you? Would you raise your hand? If nobody, keep your hand up. How long did it take you to start growing? You, my bald brother. Oh, no, that's your wife. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I thought he had, he had a hand. How long did it take you? Two years. How long you? Huh? 20 or 30 years. Who else? 12 years. How long? 10 years. Anybody else? 20 years. Anybody? This is the more wicked section. <laughs> See what I mean? And how many of you during those 10, 20 years had to make the most difficult decisions of your life on your own and wing it? How many of you, after you became Christians, somebody was there to meet with you? How long? Days. Days. How long? Day. day. I know you, Tony. How long? How long? Same day. Same day. Jake? Same day. Anybody else? How long? One week. What was the problem? <laughs> Alex, okay. <laughs> See my point? It's all, generally, when you say to people, how long did it take you to start growing and they were discipled, they're not sure what you meant. What do you mean, how long? I mean, th that person was there for me and brought me along. That's the way it's supposed to be, okay? And so, uh, discipleship. We are called Christians three times in the Bible. A score of time we're called disciples, that we have a discipline. We're trying to follow somebody and be like somebody. 
Amen. He that began a good work will perfect it until the day of Christ when you see him. And this is done by disciplines. When I was a young Christian, a guy named Roger Randall for Campus Crusade came into my room. He was from SMU. I was a baby Christian. The guy that was teaching me named John McCain brought him by and I talked with him. And he said, tell me what you think about this, Tom. When you get a table that has four legs and they, you really need them to be the same length. We have four areas in our Christian life that give us stability, like a square, the most stable thing we got. He said, you've got Bible study where God talks to you. You've got prayer, you talk to God. You've got fellowship with other Christians, and then you've got fellowship with non-Christians called evangelism. And so these are your pillars of your life. He said, most of us, our Bible study deal is pretty good if we're academic. Our prayer deal is a little bit less. Our fellowship usually is really good if we've got a church, but our evangelism sometimes is non-existent. They've got to be stable. And you know what? He told me that in 1972. I have never forgotten that. The Christian life is I talk to God, he talks to me, I talk to the lost, and I fellowship with the saved. Done. Done. Great ideas are always blinding flashes of the obvious. They're always simple. And so we have in our church discipleship. It's, you have to get discipleship. You've got to do like Jesus did. You get in small groups. He's got a bunch, he's got 12, he's got three, he's got one. And so you get in small groups. You can do one-on-one. -on -one. I've got a couple of guys that I meet with for lunch. It's called the I pay, uh, no, you pay, I pray method, all right. And so we get together and we, and we fellowship and eat and talk. And uh, my old buddy Ray Meckle back there, we meet out in Decatur. We'll meet at 1130, we'll bust out about three, all right go to the bathroom four times between us, you know, we're old men. We do. A, and so we get down and talk about life and the Bible and it's just marvelous. And so there's one-on-one -on -one time. And then you have small groups that you get together. A small group is, uh, you have small groups that anyone can do. They're just kind of discovery groups, big bird, little bird, where you just come and sit and the big bird teaches and y'all talk and it's marvelous. They're called discovery groups. But if that's all you have, we got a problem. You got to graduate that and go to where there is a group with not just teaching, but discussion and a group that has a distinct curriculum. And if you can to get it printed where you got it in your hand to where when you finish and go from being a stu student to a teacher, you're going to have something in your hand. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. Laymen have all kind of zeal and all that they need, but they don't have time to reinvent programs. But those are the easiest things to do. It's to, it's to reprint. We use the two seven by the navigators. As you receive Christ the Lord, so walk in him, having been firmly rooted, now being built up in him, established in the faith as you were instructed, overflowing with gratitude. You go through three books in nine months and a small group, you get tight, you get close you can't do discipleship in this setting right here. How many of you are struggling with, with sexuality? Would you just stand up? I'm just kidding, all right? You're not about to stand up, all right? It's, it's too threatening. Anybody here got a rotten mate? Just stand up and let's, don't do that. 
But in a small group, now a couple can say, we're struggling. I got kids that are children of the corn. I don't know what to do with them. So, you know, they, I got something growing on me over here and they did a biopsy and they told me Friday to come back. And man, I'm nervous about this because it runs in our family. Hey, we had a guy in our family. Once time I had the same thing. You know what? Let's get together and pray. When we get two seven groups and small groups, they become cultic, you know. They sit, I see them in the church. I see where they sit, you know, because they just get so close to each other because they're sharing life. You have to have a group that has a curriculum, a standard, a time limit, an expectation. We're accountable. And when we finish, a reward. You did the job, you get to play ball. You'll always have people in your church that sit on the outskirts and will applaud at best, but they don't want to get involved. We don't have them in the second service. They're in the first service, those kind of people. All right, we always take them in the first service. But the studs like yourself, they're not content to sit and listen. They want to play ball. They want to share the faith. They want to win guys. They want to disciple guys. They want their life to count. To those guys, you can't make life difficult. You have to open up that inside track and say, come sign up. We do it three times a year. And if you got a question, come, we'll get you in. You need help? Come on, we'll get you in. And those guys are like the book of Daniel, those that have insight. Uh, let's see, how's it go? Those who have insight and lead the many to righteousness shall shine like the stars of the heaven. Those that love their Bible and they love to share it. And so you have to make life easy. If you sign in a football program, a blue chip high school athlete, and then you put him on the bench, he's going to transfer. And when you got a guy like that in your church, that he really wants to make an impact, but you don't give him a chance, he's leaving. When we started this church, Mel and I just said, we're never going to have that problem of a guy saying, I really want to grow and make an impact, but you guys won't give me a chance. No. We've got discipleship. We've got BTCP. We've got BTCL. We've got MTI missionary training. We've got 2-7. We have got, you can be a counselor. You name it, we'll send you out there. We'll make you a martyr and put your picture back there. <laughs> if you're willing to do it. So no, you want to go to seminary? You want to study Babylonian and Akkadian? We'll send you there. But we'll find a way to be with you if you're willing to go, okay? So we made that decision. We wouldn't have that problem. And so discipleship, okay? And then you do it on a worldwide sense. It's called missions. That's your sixth area. Authority of scripture, Bible exposition, prayer, evangelism, discipleship, and you have to do it worldwide. When I was a younger fellow, I guess 25 years ago, I heard a scholar make a statement and I knew it when he said it, but I'd never seen it this way. And I went, wow. He said, Christianity is a worldwide idea. That's why we're the one religion that has no central capital. And we don't. We don't have a capital. It's in heaven. It's worldwide. Nobody can claim exclusivity. 
He said, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and Adam and all men. And then Adam sinned. How many people got cursed in the fall? All of us. And then God promised the seed of woman will crush the serpent's head. He's going to crush Satan, the seed of woman, a man for all men. And then you had a flood and all the world got destroyed. And then you had the uh, Noah and all the world came from Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And then you had the Tower of Babel and all the nations got confused. You don't talk about Israel until chapter 12. And then out of those nations, God took one guy, 75-year-old guy and a 75-year-old woman that couldn't have a kid, said, I'm gonna give you a magic kid born of the word of God and he's going to have a kid named Jacob. And he's going to have a kid. There's going to be the 12. And they're going to be tribes. I'm going to let them incubate in Egypt. Give them the law. Bring them out. Put them in the middle of the earth. And I will give my word. And what nation are we talking about today? Israel. Abraham, in your seed shall the nations be blessed. Israel was a worldwide religion. For everyone, they dropped the ball. They rebelled against Moses. They rebelled against David. They rebelled against the prophets. And finally, God sent his only son after being deported north and south, gathered to the land at their lowest point, ruled by the Romans. He sent his son, and they tortured and killed him over six hours. God was beaten. Ah, no. And the mystery of God. He raised him from the dead. Peter and Paul went back to the Jews. They rejected it again. He goes to Cornelius, and then through the apostle Paul, he goes to the whole world. All Christianity is, is the failure, God love them, of Israel to export their truth to the world. And so God took us, the lowliest of people, in him taking us, nobody could say that this was a deal of man and the capitalistic ideas of Israel. No, he took a bunch of hanyaks. What's a hanyak? I don't know, but my daddy used to call me one when he was man. <laughs> he took a bunch of hanyaks and gave it to us. There can't be any doubt this must be of God. And now we take the ideas of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Peter, Paul, and we export it to the entire world. Is the world gonna receive this? God hath commanded men everywhere to repent. How are we doing? Man is gonna reject it. There is gonna come a tribulation upon how much of the world? All the world. Christ is gonna return and rule all the world. So the Bible begins and ends with everybody, and in the middle there's a cross for anybody. You dig? And so this scholar was saying this, and I knew this, but he put it together. And he said, that's why if your church does not have a worldwide sense, you're going to die on the vine. Sea of Galilee is a bright, pretty thing. You know why? It has water coming in and water going out called the Jordan. It goes down to a place where there is no outlet. It's the lowest place on earth. Everything pools and evaporates there. And it's called the Dead Sea. Actually, it's never called Dead Sea in the Bible. It's called the Salt Sea, but it's dead. As a matter of fact, it is so full of brine, you can't 
drown in it. You ever tried? Yeah, when you go there, I was heard, you can't sink in the Dead Sea because it is so thick with material. And sure enough, I laid on my back and read a paper <laughs> floating on the Dead Sea. Took my Dr. Pepper and just set it here. <laughs> you can't drown. However, if you shave too close, <laughs> if you got a rash, you're going to walk on water. Yes. Trust me. Okay. What's that got to do? <laughs> okay. Worldwide, we have the MTI, Missionary Training Institute, BTCP, BTCL, Titus II International. If you want to be a missionary, we'll take you right here, train you. And my greatest joy is to take a young stud from our church, a young couple, and to say, here's where they're going. And then I say to y'all, as I always say, you maybe can't go to Argentina, but this guy can, and this woman can. Es verdad, si es verdad, okay. And we send them out, out there, and we all get to be part of this. And you can get their picture and put it on your refrigerator where all the holy are, okay. We have youth choirs that head off. We have Youth, they're, they're about to head to New Orleans. God help them. They're going to New Orleans. Our youth choir goes into incarcerated areas and preaches. So we try to go because we don't want to become the Dead Sea. Input with no output brings your downfall. The seventh area is called worship. Bible exposition gets your head. Uh, discipleship, the will. Worship is your heart, the aesthetic. Man is an artistic being. Speaking to one another, Paul says, in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, with thankfulness to God. When you sing in a psalm, you're recalling your Jewish heritage. How would you like to be an Ephesian singing Psalm 52? You're recalling your Jewish heritage. Hymns is where you sing a Christian song that has become known, and people know it. Two weeks ago was the anniversary of the writing of Amazing Grace. Uh, I went to Explo, well, I wasn't there, but I heard those that went to Explo 73. And uh, a guy got up at the Cotton Bowl with 100,000 students there named Andre Crouch. Anybody? He got up and he sang, how can I say thanks for the things you have done for me. Remember that? My tribute to God be the glory. And he sang it. And after that, everybody sung it. It became a hymn. And then you sing spiritual songs. That's the current generation. Nobody can say we only sing old stuff because God isn't inspiring anybody anymore. Really? No, there's young guys got a lot of things. And that's why Kendall will do old stuff and he'll do new stuff. And that's good. The music has to be theocentric on the glory of God. It has to be excellent. When Kendall came on, I said, here's the deal. You got to sing great songs, but you got to sing them well. You can't have a bad singer up there where people are begging for the rapture. Okay. 
You can't get your cousin to sing, okay, if they can't sing. Do you know that Kendall wanted to be a singer? You, you'll love this. When he was young, he had a little mother weighed about six pounds. She's a little bitty rascal, but she was made out of iron. She was a musician. And Kendall, was a, he is a real good musician, but he wanted to be a singer. And so his mama said, sing for me. And she went, nope. And she said, learn an instrument, son. That's why he plays piano. Okay. Where is he? I think he went to another church. This morning. He, he just made him mad for some reason. Uh, but yeah, when you're in the orchestra, when you sing in the choir, maybe you get in and maybe you don't. But Kendall listens to you. Yeah, you're good enough. Ha, stop. I'm going to give you some counsel. Never sing again. Thank you. Okay, and that was to his wife. Okay, that was, that was Jamie trying to sing. Okay. Uh, it has to also have true emotion. You ever have a music guy try to manipulate you? Try to get you roused up? That's called Gnosticism, where you get spiritual by your emotion. And I said, I don't need you to rouse people. I don't like to be manipulated. I love to hear good guys sing. I'll tell you the greatest thing in the world is y'all. I get to hear y'all back here. And that's involvement, which is another thing. Everybody sings led by the best. In Israel, you had a professional choir of Levites you had professional songwriters named Haman, Asaph, and Korah. You sang stuff inspired by the Psalms. You also had um, uh, instruments in, invented and created and authorized by David. The orchestra, the choir, the songs, they were the best. The guys that had the job of teaching singing, you know how much singing was done in Israel? It was 24-7 at the temple, those who serve by night, Psalm 134. They were always singing. And so it's, it's to have the best when we come together that, that our hearts are uplifted. I love to just sit back there and let y'all and our singers and our choir and our orchestra just wash over me. Great singing puts me to sleep. I don't know about you. A lot of guys wanna get up and run around. It just relaxes me, and I'm just at peace when I hear that. And so, worship. Number eight is called fellowship. That's called the horizontal social aspect of our faith. The New Testament calls us friends, the brethren, the household of God, brothers, sisters, the body of Christ, saints. We have a fellowship in the spirit. You have spontaneous fellowship whenever somebody comes over to you and what, we hadn't done this for a while. When's the last time that Charles said, stand up, turn around and say hi to the guy with you? I think pandemic killed that for So we're going to get diseased again here real soon. Okay. And whenever you turn around and I got, where are you from? I'm from, from Whitesboro. Well, I'm from, do you know my cousin? I believe I do. And all of a sudden you got a bond right there. And now Charles is yelling to you to sit down. Okay. And you just become close with somebody. And then you get in uh, small groups like a mini church and you're able to share your heart. That's fellowship. All you've got to be is able to love and able to be vulnerable. Amen. You got to be vulnerable. Say, I got needs. 
And then ninthly, it's called stewardship. We take care of our, your money. Uh, are there ever any scandals because of money in churches? Bunches of them. Sex and money would get you in trouble. In our church, from the beginning, we had a rule. We would never manipulate money. Mel and I both had been manipulated and we didn't like it. We said, we're going to put boxes. It's between you and God. Your right hand doesn't know what your left hand's doing. Nobody knows what anybody does. Your heart has to be moved by God. How much do you give? Give no more than Jesus. Okay. So it's not to manipulate. You give as an act of grace. Number two, there's private knowledge. Nobody knows who gives what. Nothing gets named after anybody except the Tom Nelson Center that is over on Calvary. Okay. Nobody knows what anybody gives except Paula Jenkins. I think I saw her over here. She's the only one that writes it down. She knows. Nobody else knows. So if you ever walk by Paula and she just looks at you, She knows. Okay. So there's a private knowledge and also there is protection. When we gather the money, three guys gather it. Two can't head off with it. Three gather it. When we count it, about five guys count it. So there can't be any conspiracy. Not that we don't trust anybody, but we don't trust gossip. Uh, checks are recorded. Uh, with two people. The transporting is done by a couple of people. The, anytime you spend anything on staff, you have a receipt, you bring it. It has to pass the, we have a committee that looks at everything that is spent. And so if uh, you're spending it on something, your own personal computer, you got a flag that comes up. What's going on here? If you spend over $1,000 on anything, a flag comes up. What are you spending that on? Okay. Uh, we have a finance committee. We have a budget. And when you start to go over your budget, you're going to spend somebody else's money. And so we have a guy on staff named Joey Chichi. He's with the mafia. Okay. <laughs> and he will go out and visit you. Okay. And then we have a complete openness. If anybody wants to know anything, come talk to us. We'll tell you. So that's why in 50 years, we've never had a scandal. We've had a couple of times we said to say, hey, be careful right here. Okay. And then the last thing is called, are you with me so far? The last thing is called compassion. The book of Titus seven times says good deeds, good deeds deeds, good deeds. Let your light so shine among men that they might see your good deeds and glorify your father is in heaven. We have compassion to the community. And it's not something we organize as elders and put a guy on staff and send him out to do it. It is done by usins, laymen and laywomen. We, all of us do it. That when you see a need in the community, and you say, I can meet that need. You come talk to us. 
And I want to know a couple of things. Number one, are you crazy? Okay. Because you're about to represent the church. So I need to know we have a crazy monitor we put on you. Okay. Crazy, crazy. No. So I got to know that you're normal. Okay. And then I want to know what you want to do. Hmm. We had a guy named Gene Gumphrey who said, I'd like to start a garden back here. Hmm. A garden. Can you do that? I'm a master gardener. Hmm. How are you going to do that? Here's how I'm going to do that. Who are you going to do it with? I got some people to do it with. And then we have a rule that you can't go ask for money. You got to do it. If it gets too big for you to do and it's that good, then we'll come in and step in. And if you quit that ministry, we don't have to carry it for you. The ministry dies. You got to make sure the guy that takes over when you're out. And so about, uh, oh, almost 30 years ago, me and three other pastors got together and said, we need a crisis pregnancy center. And we got together and started it. We manned it and it became a woman to woman. A fellow named Ted Tripp, a dentist, wanted to start a dental clinic because that's one of the things that people out of pocket need the most. And so we started a dental clinic. First Refuge took it over. And now it, it's, it runs itself. Uh, we send out medical missions teams that will go out and just do good do deeds in Romania, in Mexico, in wherever. Uh, we've got a guy who's 92 years old that has built 80 plus churches on the Amazon. And he will take folks to go build churches on the Amazon. Am I going with him? Not a chance. Okay. And then we started Vision Ministry with Alan Tracy Jacobson. That has continued. Uh, Frontline Ministry. A couple of guys started ministering to the African-American community. They were two white boys. And they had it going really well. And they said, we can't relate as well. This guy can. Calvin Clark came on. He did it. The church picked it up. And it was just pure. It wasn't bringing any money into our church. It was just all outgo. But we said, let's go. Uh, jail ministry. Uh, Lloyd Campbell, some guys now. Uh, Jack Gill does it. Men and women going into the jail. We don't get any money coming back but it's output and it's all done by layman. Shiloh Field, Operation Christmas Child, letters to women that are incarcerated, an unshackled ministry to guys who've just gotten out of prison and we'll take them. Um, alcohol recovery, guys that are under the bondage of alcohol. We got guys that'll take them and work with them. Sexual abuse recovery, we got four groups going. I wish we could not have to do them no more, but we have four groups. Uh, international students that uh, started just spontaneously and then it was taken over within the ministry. Ray Franks does that today. International wives that my wife and a couple of other ladies do get the wives of international students. Child evangelism that Tracy Jacobson now mans. Habitat for Humanity. Uh, Freedom House, that we bring people to help work with them over there. Joe Bruton, Diana Sims, a lot of people that work with guys that are in, in, out in uh, drug recovery. Um, we help start Serve Denton. Now it is on its own. The Wheeler House for Families. Veterans Ministry that Mark Roy does to veterans in our church. 
These are all, only a couple of these got to be staff positions. They're just good guys that say, we see a need out there. There was a, uh, one of the things that we do is work with guys that are PTSD that have come back. We said, we'll take you. We'll take you. We're not sure exactly what to do, but we'll do what we can with you. And so if anybody in our church sees an area that says, man, that is in the need of the grace of God right there. The medicine of the gospel can reach into that. Let me know who you are. Let me know what you want to do. Who would do it with you? How would you do it? And I'll announce it up here and we'll get you some volunteers. And so that's called the unleashing of the church where the grace of God flows outward. Well, all of these things are the ministries that the church does. To review them, uh, just quickly, the authority of scripture, Bible exposition, prayer, evangelism, discipleship, missions. I forgot to tell you where our missionaries are. You got that one up there, Jake? Or little Nate? There you are. We have them in the USA, Venezuela, Ecuador, France, Spain, West Africa, Argentina, Russia, Ukraine, Austria, India, Kenya, West Asia, East Asia, the Solomon Islands, right at 100 people that this church sends out. So you try to make a good harvest, you've got to throw away a lot of seed. And the way that you have your church flourish is by giving, by giving. The ultimate act is the cross. And another thing that we do is we stop once. We have chosen once a month and we all come together on the ultimate fundamental, and that is the death of Christ. It's called communion, which we will now observe. Father in heaven, for just a moment, we stop. And uh, we ponder on what happened for us of a cross, a crisis, a crust, a crucial event of heaven coming down and meeting man who was flatlined and dying and rising as man cannot do, and then infecting with life all who would behold that cross. For the cross is to those who are perishing foolishness, but to we who are being saved, it is the wisdom of God and it is the power of God. And so we, as we sing, cherish the old rugged cross where our trophies at last we laid down and we shall exchange it someday for a crown. And so as we pause right here and come back to a primary understanding of God and man and justice and Christ and his love, we pray that uh, as we examine ourselves, we ponder on him and we look at those around us that are members of this family, that we will spend arm in arm right here and eternity over there, that Lord uh, cause us to increase truly and in those who can come with us to beggars who have found where the bread is and we'll ask it through Christ our Lord, amen.